that a liqueur? Yeah. Ooh, that's fresh. Mm. I stuck this in the in the fridge before I went to work so I could have mm. a refreshing liqueur during my record. Yeah. Because I'm a fancy bitch who lives in a fancy world made of little tiny diamonds and tiny little bones. I make them into castles and also into people. I let them do my chores and then I pop my pimples. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> in olden days, a glimpse of femur was only for morbid dreamers, but you're not alone. Bring anything wrong to goofy gals with deathly interest. Go on a skeleton in quest in your headphones. Anything wrong? Hello and welcome to Anything bones i'm sophie schwartz and i'm caitlin hart yeah da -da -da -da. welcome to the bone podcast where we talk about bones and bone related topics we haven't said that in a minute but i just wanted to remind everyone that's why we're all here that is why we're all here i also want to give you a quick thank you for not making the whole episode musical because i was gonna <laughs> tire of that so quickly Oh, no, no. I I don't have the vocal talent to support that, but I do have the heart to support it. I think every good series, no matter what media it is, should have a musical episode. Mm. So we'll have to think about that. Okay, yeah, we'll table that for now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Hi. Sophie. Yes. Do you want to talk about bones with me yes I always want to do that you could call me at three in the morning and say hey you want to talk bones I'd be like yeah let me plug in the old microphone eh? <laughs> <laughs> no microwave <laughs> if I just read an article in the dead of night that just <laughs> shocks me to my core I know exactly who to call <laughs> first the Ghostbusters and then me <laughs> We, um, oh, we don't have a guest this week. It's, uh, it's just us. It's just your, your OG bone gals. And we're doing a fun, uh, Monday record. We're usually Sunday record people. So we've got like a, a Randy after work energy to us. Yeah. Monday is always a hard day. I think for everybody. Yes. Who like, especially like when you're starting the work week, it's just like, oh it's here we go we're going in again like and it's always like busy like my joke on Mondays is like no oh, people had all weekend to like think of the things they were going to call us about today and so the phones <laughs> go crazy and like everybody's like ah! but uh the sun is shining in Seattle so <laughs> I can't complain I sincerely thought you were gonna say people have the whole weekend to fuck up their eyes. So, <laughs> no, no. Like, you think I would just casually say that? <laughs> I don't know. It's barbecue season. That could get hairy. Man, um, I'm really trying to figure out a way to fuck up my <laughs> eyes this Saturday. Mm. But I don't know how. Pork <laughs> is so cliche. Stare at sun maybe that's, that's Trump classic. style yeah Stare right into the eclipse <laughs> how presidential <laughs> of you yeah 
Okay, okay. I asked you like a thousand years ago if you wanted to talk about bones and then <laughs> we did it. <laughs> and now is as true as it was 1000 years ago when we met in that turbulent desert. I would like to talk about bones yeah, with okay. you. <laughs> I'm going to do a fairly well-known case, I think. So I'm a little <laughs> nervous about oh, that. Oh, you're going to kill it. My sources were an article from CNN, the New York Times, our favorite bitch. Heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, an article from catholicnewsagency.com. Uh, the Washington Post and insider.com. So today I'm going to talk about missing Italian teenager, uh, Emanuela Orlandi. Yes, you have been sitting on this one for a minute. Yeah, yeah, I definitely have. I believe it was my favorite murder. They mm-hmm. did an episode about this one, yeah. uh, like a couple who knows time is irrelevant (laughs) at some point my favorite murder did an episode about this case and I think I had heard of it vaguely before that and then was got more interested after the my favorite murder episode and then just kind of didn't do anything about it for a while and now we're swinging right right back to it yeah I always think the I don't know. I have a strange curiosity about the Vatican because it's like, isn't it its own, like, it's its own kind of like capsulated, like domain. Yeah. Yeah. And I I know that, I know that because of the Da Vinci Code. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You love the Da Vinci Code and the second one. What's the second one called? (laughs) Angels and Demons. I love anything with Tom Hanks. (laughs) She says so quietly angels and demons like i'm like i'm mad about it about liking two very uh bony very action-packed um dramatic movies action movies Um, they're action movies they couldn't be nerdy no no okay anyway so this is how i come to this story so emanuela orlandi was the fourth of five children she grew up inside the Vatican because her dad worked as a that quote Vatican clerk organizing papal audiences. So wow. <laughs> you have to be pretty tight with the Pope to like live in the Vatican or yeah. like a Vatican adjacent. They probably didn't live, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They live didn't live the where the Pope lived. But can you imagine being a little kid, like running around the Vatican? Like what sort of bullshit you would get up to? That honestly is my dream. I feel like a lot of time as a kid was spent, if I was outside, like pretending it was, mm-hmm. it, it was exactly, that was the vibe you would want to be like sneaking around corners and, you know, yeah. uh, hidden Ooh. passageways, yes. uh, pews and things to hide behind the Vatican and history, all this crazy history. Like, and you know, I'm going for that hat. I'm gonna <laughs> find it. Jesus. <laughs> Put that shit on my head. I'm the Pope now. I like this quote. So, quote, her older brother Pietro remembers theirs as a charmed childhood. 
the Vatican spectacular gardens were their playground and Pope John Paul II would stop by and talk to the youngsters having fun on the manicured lawn. We thought we were in the safest place in the world, he said. Oh. Explaining that the city was more like a village inhabited by a closely knit group of around six families. Wow, that sounds that sounds fascinating. And they just would get like a nice hello from the Pope. It's like, oh, hey, Pope Uncle kinda, Pope. Yeah, he kind of knew who they were and would stop by oh. and say hello. It sounds like the families were maybe doing their own thing and they just worked in the Vatican. Yeah, that sounds very fascinating. I would love to like know what the dynamics were like between like those, you know, six families and like the hierarchy yeah. in there. I think we're probably ide- idealizing it a little bit just oh, because yeah. well yeah. It's I mean just... it would be fun to it would be cool to, I've oh, been no. to the Vatican yeah and I would love to just spend like a whole day there but I didn't <laughs> well I just think there must be just so much weird secret stuff going on in there yeah yeah there has to be that's that's the kid that's the tinfoil hat on me is I'm like but what are they up to in there what are they hiding how many holy grails they got so at the time of her disappearance spoiler alert emanuela had just finished her second year of high school so she was about 15 Hmm. on june 22nd 1983 it's summer but she leaves her house in vatican city and goes to oh god i'm gonna butcher this italian Saint Apollinaire complex in Rome. Mm. I don't know. So she leaves the Vatican City and gets on a bus, I believe, to go to a flute lesson. So a couple, this is, okay, this is the tricky thing about this story. There are so many theories. There are so many witnesses that say things, but you don't know if it's true or not. You know, like there's like, Mm -hmm. it's almost like, there are so many different theories and explanations or like people that saw her doing this or think that she's doing that. Um, what am I trying to say? Take some of these like things with a grain of salt, I guess, because everybody's saying that she was doing something different, <laughs> you yeah. know, like and this like, day. And they're I, like, no, I was there. I saw it. And it happened in the eighties. I don't know. It's just like hard to know exactly what went down is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And like, I think something that we're finding out a lot now kind of more is that like eyewitness accounts are very subjective and not always as reliable as they were once thought to be, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. I know for a fact I misremember things all the time. Yeah, (laughs) same. Anyway, so... She may have been stopped by a man in a green BMW who offered her money to sell Avon cosmetics. And we, we do think that this happened because she did call her sister and her sister said like this event made her uncomfortable, I guess that somebody like stopped her on the street. So she immediately calls home and I guess she talks to her sister Mm -hmm. and her sister tells her, Oh, like, don't worry about it right now. Just like talk to our parents about it at some point. Apparently she went to her flute lesson and asked to leave early around 6.50. People saw her get on her bus home 
and start talking to a red haired lady question mark but that was whatever happened she was never seen again so she went to this flute lesson and just never came home oh that's so sad yeah so awful so scary she's she just got done with her second year of high school she's 15 years old yeah it's really really this is a really sad story sorry this poor family the orlandi family starts getting just a lot of calls with tips about where their daughter is so again there's just a lot of everybody's trying to throw their hat in the ring yeah a lot of people does that make sense yeah like people are trying to get involved like yeah yeah so somebody who called himself pierre luigi great name (laughs) (laughs) you knew how to say that one (laughs) well (laughs) luigi (laughs) does he wear green overalls unclear unclear um I'm, i'm sorry my source didn't go into detail about that there was no fashion coverage (laughs) no not on this missing persons case there always has to be fashion coverage jesus oh my god how many times i have to tell fucking tell people so pierre luigi claims that he and his girlfriend saw a girl matching emmanuela's description she was apparently playing the flute going by the name of barbara and selling cosmetics So in one version, she Mm. was approached by somebody who told her, hey, you should buy, you should sell cosmetics. And in this version, she's pretending to be somebody else and is already selling cosmetics like on the street, apparently. (laughs) I mean, that to me sounds like they saw a woman named Barbara who was selling Avon. Selling cosmetics on the street. But here's the image that you just painted for me. It's a young woman walking down the street playing the flute and selling cosmetics. How does that fucking work? I don't quite know. I think maybe the flute is to entice people to buy the <laughs> Avon products. <laughs> I've got foundation, eyeliner, and setting powder. The great prices. <laughs> terrible i'm a horrible no it wasn't terrible i want the listeners to know that sophie was pretending to to (laughs) a flute with her hands yes and i got to see it and i'm the only one (laughs) yeah that that air fluting was for you and you alone (laughs) so another guy named mario calls the orlando (laughs) family and says something similar he says that a girl who looks like emanuela calling herself Barbara and selling cosmetics with another woman. Okay. Mm. I don't know. But do you think Mario and Luigi are working together? You sick fuck. (laughs) I didn't put that together until just now. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's why I'm here. That's my job. That's so funny. (laughs) God. If we ever go to Italy, we just are going to have to apologize to all the people named Luigi and Mario because we're just going to be laughing the whole time. Yeah, well, we won't be the only ones. (laughs) No, we're not going to go for a long time anyway. So this is actually, sorry, we're laughing and laughing and laughing. This is actually really sad because the family just starts getting, quote, hundreds of prank and cryptic messages about their daughter, none of them leading anywhere, end quote. That's so fucked. 
like horrible why would you do that this is the ask like the piece of true crime that really freaks me out and also makes me so mad is the people that want to like muddy the waters for police or just like want to be involved so they make stuff up like the you know it's just that doesn't make any sense to me and I I think to be fair like there is probably for some of those folks like there is some mental illness involved yeah I mean I'm just guessing but just as a concept I don't understand the why you would do that yeah I think someone who is like in full control of their mental faculties and decides to call in a fake tip is not a person I'd like to know (laughs) well no it's just you know leave the phone lines open for credible information come it's just nonsense that you would try to and not just they're not calling the police they're calling the family yeah that's the most fucked thing about it is yeah if you're gonna do this shit call the police like the family doesn't Mm -hmm. need to hear all of this bullshit while they're like in this incredible state of distress and loss and and Mm -hmm. pain yeah why are you trying to insert yourself in that uh no amount of money could make me do that to a family going through that it just that's just so gross so obviously like I said Emanuela and her family knew the Pope. They live in Vatican City. So the Pope does address her disappearance on July 3rd, 1983. And then about two days after that, somebody calls both the Orlandi family and the Vatican and says that they want to trade Emanuela for the release of this guy, uh, Mehmet Al-Agka. And he is a Turkish man who tried to shoot the Pope in 1981. Okay. Yeah, so this name, (laughs) this guy was nicknamed L'Americano because he had an American accent. L'Americano, I don't know how you would pronounce it in Italian, but (laughs) the American, basically. The American, yeah. Um, that's that's us always sticking our nose where it don't belong (laughs) yeah and this guy apparently tried to like back up his claims he maybe had a photocopy of Emanuela's registration card for her school he I guess sent a letter with copies of her sheet music but that's yeah like that's creepy creepy as hell and then this never goes anywhere and apparently the american quote went silent on october 27th 1983 so this guy just had a wild summer (laughs) oh my god (laughs) then was like okay gotta go back to work gotta stop inserting myself (laughs) in this missing person's case yeah i have no idea make them go down a fucking wild goose chase with me and then i'm just gonna dip how how classy yeah So it gets even weirder. Basically, nothing happens for like 1983 to more than 20 years go by, I guess, before anything significant comes up again. I'm sure during that time they were getting more and more calls and shit, but I guess 
nothing big happens until 2008. Mm-hmm. At this point, this is so bad shit crazy. The former mistress of a guy named Enrico de Pettis, <laughs> he tells the police that he organized Emanuela's kidnapping at quote at the behest of the controversial American archbishop Paul C. Marcinus, the former president of the Vatican Bank, who died in 2006. What? So to sum to sum up, yeah, on, I'm sorry, up, you lost. There me. are so many. There are so many you levels lost at me this there. point. Yeah. Okay. We've got a guy who is a American archbishop, former president of the Vatican Bank. His name is Paul. He's <laughs> dead already. Oh, he's dead. He apparently told a gangster named Enrico de Pettis to kidnap Emanuela for some reason and the gangster's former mistress like told the police this story oh okay are you kind of with me I yes I am with you there's don't a worry guy, too much about it there's a guy <laughs> and he works for the bank and he contacted another guy and was like, hey, can you kidnap Emanuela? And he was like, yeah, sure, but I have a mistress. And she calls the police a, a oh, much wait, of a shit. long time later. Yeah, yeah, shit. <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. So I guess the gangster, De Pettis, fuck, he's also dead. <laughs> so the mistress, sure. <laughs> the mistress has come forward and everybody's dead who's involved in her story it seems like i mean that's why um, I, that's when i would come forward if i was the mistress yeah. oh, when everyone dead. was now i'm gonna yeah. do this yeah no danger okay. to me everyone's yeah i guess. already so in 2012 so this is again four years so four more years go by the gangster Enrico de Pettis, his grave is exhumed to see if Emanuela's remains are inside with him. Ah, uh, uh, no, Hor- horrific. Please say that they were not. No, they were not there. Oh, thank God. I'm but come a lot and of people kill are him one- again. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask a question, and I just want you to know I don't have an answer to this. Okay. But why the fuck is a gangster like? buried in the vatican <laughs> that is an excellent question um, um maybe for another yeah. episode <laughs> i yeah i don't know <laughs> i mean maybe he donated um, a lot of money to the church or maybe he was a close personal friend of jesus <laughs> these are unknowable <laughs> these are unknowns <laughs> so that's not the most recent crazy batshit oh thing God. that happened. The story's absolutely insane. And like at the core of it, it's a missing persons case, but it just takes so many turns and it keeps getting crazier and crazier and crazier. So Emanuela's family was told, no, they were given a clue. It was a picture with a message that said, look where the angel is pointing. And it uh. led the family to this uh, cemetery near St. Peter's Basilica, which is called the Teutonic Cemetery. Teutonic Cemetery, eh? Yeah. T-E-U-T-O-N-I-C. Teutonic. Where's where's my fucking notebook? I want to write that down. 
I'll, I'll just ask you about it later. The Teutonic <laughs> Cemetery. Anyway, so this angel is pointing to a tomb and the one adjacent to it, I guess. And there are t- two princesses who died in the early 1800s in these graves that they're led to. So the Vatican gives them permission. And this guy named Giovanni Arcudi, who works as a professor of forensic medicine at the University of Rome, they exhume the tombs of the princesses. Their names are Princess Sophia hey. of Hohelo. Hohelo. Hohenlo. Hohenlo. I, like I have ho. no goddamn idea. I like Hohelo. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's not that. It's not that at all. <laughs> Hohelo. <laughs> Hohelo, it's me, the princess. <laughs> Oh, so oh, princess- hello, I didn't see you there. <laughs> so Princess Sophie of what the fuck ever. Yeah, and bitch. Princess Carlotta Frederica of Mecklenburg. Um, Mecklenburg? <laughs> that's what it said. I'm sorry, that's just the greatest name of a place ever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So they go to exhume the tombs of these princesses, right? And they have this whole planned like testing phase that they're going to do. I don't fucking know, but it would have taken a really long time. It would have been really complex. They were all prepared to do all this DNA testing. Uh Uh-oh, there's nothing in the fucking tombs. What? Emmanuela's not there. And neither are the fucking princesses. No, but where are the princesses? This is how I started researching this story. This (laughs) is the New York Times article that sucked me right in. Search for missing teenager in Vatican Cemetery unearths thousands of bones. (gasps) And this is by Elzabetta Pavoleto. It was published July 20th, 2019. Again, New York Times. Of it. <laughs> the Vatican is like, what? Where the fuck are our princesses? <laughs> yeah. Oh, ho, ho, hello turned into ho, goodbye. So they're digging around and they unearth two ossuaries <gasps> that contain thousands of bones. Oops. Oopsie poopsie. We lost these bones, but we found them. Yeah. And then some. Yeah, shit. Did um, they find the princess? Hold on, hold on. Okay. Um, so <laughs> hold a representative, hold on. So Laura Scro, who is the Orlandi family lawyer, she was there when everything was examined, said, quote, that the two ossuaries were underground in a building adjacent to the cemetery and that they contained very many bones. Certainly some are, some are historic, older, but at first sight, it's not possible to do an accurate dating. On a pile <laughs> of bones? Yeah, that does sound hard. <laughs> yeah. So I guess all the bones were put into 24 bags, which is a detail that I do like and also don't like. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they were taken away to be analyzed. <laughs> Just a casual 24 bags of people. 24 bags of bones. (laughs) Out of of the ground and into the Vatican. Wait, so can I ask a question about the ossuaries? Yeah. Were they like, 
So did they find like mass graves or did they find like a room full of bones? What were, what, tell me what state were the bones in? <laughs> well, it or does says, it not say? no, it kind I mean, I see what you're saying. It doesn't quite go into big details like that. This is from the Orlandi family's forensic expert, Giorgio Portera. Quote, they found thousands of bones, said Giorgio Portera, the Orlandi family's forensic expert, who hypothesized that they belonged to dozens of persons. He said the bones had not been cataloged or kept in an orderly manner, but were piled up in a cavity. Okay, so they were kind of in a room-ish. I think it was a surprise to everybody. Like, not only are the princesses not where they're supposed to be, but there's also just like a room of bones <laughs> underneath nearby. <sighs> God, that's that's some wild shit. <laughs> so we don't we don't quite know what happened to the princesses. We might. The Vatican's records maybe shed some light on this they did renovations in the area in the 60s and 70s so the bones could have been moved then but oh wow we don't don't know we don't know (laughs) so the oh here you go so they said that the two ossuaries were under a trap door inside (gasps) the pontifical teutonic college next to the cemetery See, that's my dream is that I'm just hanging out in a room and I see a trap. I like move a rug for some reason. I trip over it and I see that there's something underneath it and I move the rug. It's a trap door and I go down there and it's thousands of bones, baby. (laughs) Yeah, that's my perverted. That's that's just my onion. (laughs) No, that's that's cool. That's cool, man. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so... That's probably what happened to the princesses, but no definitive answer on that, I guess. (laughs) The Vatican's communication director said that the tombs were opened, quote, as a sign of human and Christian closeness to the Orlandi family. He added that it was, quote, certainly not, as has been said, an admission on the part of the Vatican of a possible involvement in hiding a corpse. So the Vatican, obviously... Over the years, people have assumed that the Vatican knows about yeah. her disappearance or had something to do with it. Just because she lived there, people think that she was buried there, I guess, or they had something to do with her disappearance. I, I don't really know what they would have to gain from that. I um, mean, anything's yeah. possible, of course, but yeah. I don't really see why what kidnapping would... a 15 year old. What would that accomplish? yeah what would that accomplish like daughter of your clerk yeah just i i don't know yeah other than Um, some truly heinous stuff yeah yeah of course of course that's also a theory as well that something really horrible happened to her um but she's never been found so we don't know wild and spoiler alert This is from catholicnewsagency.com. It was published April 30th, 2020, so not that long ago. A Vatican judge has formally closed the investigation opened last year related to the missing Italian teenager, Emanuela Orlandi. They had authorized the tombs of the princesses to be opened, just as, like, like they said, as a sign of good faith to the family, and also maybe trying to tell people, like, hey, we have nothing to do with this. Like, look, we're so open and we're trying to help. I don't know. 
but scientific tests were carried out in July 2019 and all the bones of the thousands of bones that were found, they're all too old to be Emanuela. How old them bones? It didn't say. Damn it. <laughs> this is still breaking news, kind of. I'm sorry. <laughs> like archaeology wise. I um, just always want to know the bone <laughs> deets. I know, I know. But there's just not a lot of, you know, they're kind of their main goal, I feel like, at least on CatholicNewsAgency.com, their main goal was to be like the vatican had nothing to do with her disappearance all of these bones are very old like please move along and try your next (laughs) thing (laughs) these bones are too old none of them are her bones please stop looking at our bones we would like to just have we would be like to be the only one who touched the bones (laughs) yeah so sorry that went a little long and it's really uh convoluted and thank you for sticking with me on that because i went on a ramble ramble party I, this case is super interesting to me because there are so many theories and there are so many things that could have happened to her. It could have been someone within the Vatican. It could have been someone who was just in the Vatican that day. It could have been someone who planned it, someone in Rome, someone who just had the opportunity and is a fucking heinous pervert. There are so many things that like, I don't know from what you were saying, there's so much mudding of the water that there's not a lot that we know for sure about it. Yeah. And that's kind of something that I really wanted to stress with this case is there's like somebody sent a picture that says, look where the angel is pointing. That's but wild. She wasn't, she wasn't there, but how did they know the tombs were empty and all this stuff? And like, what else? The tomb of the gangster and like all this stuff. It's like at the heart of it, This poor family has never been able to get their family member back. They've never been able to get any closure because like she just vanished into thin air one day and nobody knows what happened to her and it's awful. And her family is still alive. At least some family members are. And it sounds like her brother Pietro is kind of the one who keeps things alive and he was interviewed in several of the sources I looked at and he hasn't totally lost hope that they'll find out what happened to her but yeah that's the yeah you never know you never know it's just it's hard because there's no evidence she she vanished yeah so we might never know what happened to her even though I hope I hope someday they'll get some answers yeah, me, me too. Answers and, and closure for that, for that family, for that brother. Yeah, yeah. She was one of five siblings. So oh. yeah, big family and yeah, they all miss her, I'm sure. Yeah, that was devastating, but fascinating. Thank you. That's what I'm aiming for at all times. All right, now for something drastically different different. yeah (laughs) (laughs) now on to something different all right my sources for this are an article from the guardian an article from telegraph wikipedia and a youtube video by ask a mortician our favorite mortician caitlin doty Mm -hmm. um so something happened recently with the royals which was the only interesting thing that I think has happened with the Royals recently, which is that one of them has died. And 
Oh, you didn't think the Meghan Markle and Prince Harry split was interesting? I think that's fascinating. But okay. But royal funerals. Okay, I see what you mean. I see what you're getting at. We're not oh, talking I about stand... drama. No, 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 no. I stand behind Meghan Markle and I think that whatever she wants to do about the things that were done to her, I support fully. Nice, but we're... nice, nice. But we're talking about the question. So Prince Philip did kick the bucket and yes. he was 99 years old which is a good long life and a controversial figure to say the very least of it. But his funeral was recently and it got me thinking and a bunch of other people thinking, um, what's going to happen when Queen Elizabeth dies? Oh my God. So we're going to talk about Operation London Bridge, which (laughs) is the plan for Queen Elizabeth II's funeral. Oh my God. It's not a laughing matter, but it also kind of is. So Operation London Bridge, which is the plan that will come into place in the United Kingdom after the death of Queen Elizabeth. This plan was originally devised in the 1960s. So they've been working on it for a while and it's updated several times a year. Oh my God. And then when- I'm sorry, is there just like a whole department of her team oh, in yeah, charge of her is. funeral? Oh, oh my God. yeah, there is. This is a big deal. Like when I stumbled upon this, when I first watched the video by Caitlin Doty, I was like, holy shit. And then when I started looking into it more, I was like, wow. Like I thought I was a planner, but <laughs> this is, this is something else. Yeah. Them. Okay. Okay. So- Every time they update these plans, they destroy the old ones. Sure. Death by fire. I, I'm guessing that there's a ceremonial trash can that these plans get dumped into and then lit on fire <laughs> <laughs> by a beef eater. Yes. Yes. So there are, even though they destroy the old versions of the plan, there are several different versions of the current plan that are always in circulation because no one's quite sure, you know, how it'll happen. Um, so these different versions of the plan are held by Buckingham Palace, different branches of the government and the BBC. So these are all the people who are going to be ready when it goes down. And here you asked about departments of government that are involved with this. And I will tell you all of the departments of government that are involved with this. We're talking the Church of England, Metropolitan Police Service, the British Armed Services, the media, the Royal Parks, London boroughs, and the transport for London. Oh, just a a few. Just a few. Just maybe every part of society, maybe. Oh my God. Yeah. It's going to be a big deal when she dies. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be drastic. Like no matter how people feel about her, she's been queen for so long, like Mm -hmm. so long and has like held this steady reign. I think she's one of the long, like longest reigning monarchs ever. Like I'll have to fact check that, but this funeral, a lot of the plans are made by her personally. Um, Oh, cool. Yeah, but there is a lot of stuff that's going to be left to Prince Charles, her successor, to to decide after her death. Because there's some stuff you just can't decide when you're alive, apparently. <laughs> okay. 
I found this funny in the most morbid way possible, but most people predict the queen will die after a short illness. Jesus. I mean, she's very old. She is quite old. She's quite old. She's very, like, sharp. Yeah. Yeah. And she looks so sad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I know. I feel bad for her. That's hard. They were married for, like, 70 years, weren't they? Yeah, something like that. My God. But aren't they also cousins? I don't know. I (laughs) don't want to get into it. (laughs) This is why I'm talking about the Queen's Fury. I want to talk about him. Um, (laughs) Yes, yes. uh, So as early as 2017, the phrase London Bridge is down is expected to be used to communicate the Queen's death to the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom and, you know, key personnel. And the code name Operation London Bridge primarily refers to just the events that will take place in the United Kingdom and in the other commonwealths where Queen Elizabeth II acts as monarch. So there are plans for like what they will do in Australia, New Zealand, and like 15 other places of um i think i cover it later but everyone has got a plan and it all starts with operation london bridge wow yeah so they use these code names for every death of a royal family member and the reason that they use these is because they don't want the switchboard operators at Buckingham Palace to hear the news before the people that they're supposed to be telling. So they have these code names. And all of the royals who have died since like the 1900s have had these kind of code names. King George the, is it sixth with V1? Yeah, that's six. Yeah. So King George the sixth died in 1952 and the government phrase that was uttered to like signify that he was dead to people was Hyde Park Corner. Uh So if you're giving someone directions to meet you there, just don't say that to any officials. (laughs) They'll freak out. They will start his funeral procession. They will start the funeral again. They'll go and (laughs) dig up his dead ass. (laughs) But here are some... (laughs) They're going to dig up his dead ass. I'm dead ass with you. <laughs> hey. So Operation Tay Bridge was the phrase that was used for the funeral plans of Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother. And those funeral plans were rehearsed for 22 years. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, Is that like a yearly thing where you're all like, oh, God. All right. It's time for the yearly uh re- rehearsal for the funeral they Not just this shit again <laughs> they just have this shit planned they just have these meetings on the books and like this has been something that goes all the way back to queen victoria who mm-hmm. died in the very early 1900s but had her the contents of her coffin written down and inventoried and like ready to go by 1875 so oh, god <laughs> she was like i'm ready um yeah, okay Gotta some, be prepared. <laughs> some other bridge code names for funerals because they use bridges. They just oh use God. bridges. So Operation Fourth Bridge was the funeral for Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, who died just recently. Operation Medii Bridge for Charles, Prince of Wales. 
And of course, Operation London Bridge, the big boy, Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. I wrote here, she gets the best bridge because she's the queen. Yeah, yeah. You got to put the queen at the top. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So what's this plan? Sophie, tell us the plan. What's the plan? They've been working on it for so long. They've been working on it for so long. So here's the plan. In the last like couple of hours of her life, the queen's senior doctor, who is a gastroenterologist, which I thought was kind of funny, whose name is Professor Hugh Thomas, will be in charge of kind of everything that's going on with the queen. He's going to be the one who decides what information is like made public about her like health conditions. And it's kind of all about timing for letting people know about these deaths. Like they're going to have a couple of updates for the public, but they're not going to outright say, buckle up, buttercup, the queen is dying. Sure. So Sir James Reed, who was Queen Victoria's physician, two days before her death in 1901, he said, quote, the queen is suffering from great physical prostrication accompanied by symptoms which cause much anxiety. Oh, which is sad. And then the kind of final notice that was given by George V's doctor, Lord Dawson, was given at 9.30 p.m. on January 20th, 1936. And he said, quote, the king's life is moving peacefully towards its close. And uh, he actually ended up ensuring that himself. Because Dawson injected the king with 750 milligrams of morphine and cocaine, which is enough to kill him twice. Thank you. So unnecessary. Well, you know why they did it? Why? So that they could have him die in time to print the the Times, which was printed at midnight. So they wanted to make sure he would die before the papers got out. Duh. Uh, what the fuck? Yeah. Can we talk about the fact that that guy killed the king and there were no consequences for him? I guess. But like, I mean, he I mean, was, it was only a bucket. matter of time. Yes, but, but they God. were like, let's just make sure he dies before we print the newspapers, you know? I can't believe, I can't believe that they would ever admit that. Who would ever, is it like, is that just like a theory or did somebody come out and say, yeah, that's why we did it? I mean, Unclear. Yeah. I'm not sure how they came to that conclusion other than it probably was printed in that thing and they yeah. just happened to give him all that cocaine and stuff. And plus, they're at this point, they're already on the bandwagon of being pretty tight assed about all this stuff. Yes. Yeah. So I, I think in yeah. order to orchestrate the perfect death for him, he yeah. had to die at the right time, you know? Because we're humans and we have to control everything. Yuck. Um, So the first person who's going to know who's not like family and her medical staff is going to be her private secretary. That's Sir Christopher Gilt. And he was actually given a knighthood for planning her her funeral, which is kind of sweet. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) So he's going to tell the prime minister... He's going to tell the prime minister civil servants and they're going to tell him London Bridge is down. And that's Jesus. how he's going to know that uh, that she has died. Um, Honestly, at least they're not saying London Bridge has fallen because that would be a little bit tragic. 
Yeah, that would be. That would be. <laughs> that would suck. You know the song, London Bridge is Falling? You got it. Everybody gets it. It would, it would, it would paint the song in quite a different light. See, this is a musical episode. Hey, and I wasn't even the one to start that one. Um, <laughs> so from there, it's going to go to the Foreign Office's Global Response Center, which is at an undisclosed location, which is sure. always fun. And they are going to send the news out to the 15 different governments outside the UK, where the Queen is also head of state, and the 36 nations of the Commonwealth for whom she is a symbolic figurehead. So mm-hmm. a lot of people have to know. The media is going to be informed by the PA media and BBC through the Radio Alert Transmission System, or RATS. <laughs> So rats is also sometimes referred to as royal about to snuff it (gasps) (laughs) because it's like a system that's like never used. Like they never use it except for like for this. And it's like been maintained since the 1930s, but like I said, they don't use it. So like commercial radio and independent radio news are going to be let know because they have these things called obit lights which are these little blue lights inside the studio that flash when something terrible and tragic has happened and they're going to get a news flash about it. Oh my God. Yeah. And these obit lights are tested about once a week and they're supposed to light up in case of a national, like a national tragedy and they should be ready for news and these, de- these lights alert the DJs to switch to news in the next few minutes and to play inoffensive music in the meantime. And it's very, very funny because in 2002, when the Queen Mother died, the obit lights didn't come on because someone had failed to push the button properly. And oh. <laughs> a, a poor news anchor on the BBC named Peter Simmons who was like a great anchor everybody loved, was like crazy criticized because he wore a maroon tie on air instead of a black one. Shit. The British love their traditions. They really do. And like when this all goes down, everyone who's on TV is supposed to change into black like immediately like everyone who's like broadcasting the news or everything has to change immediately because it's it's just like it's a respect thing so uh so the bbc news will air pre-recorded sequence of portraits during which uh the presenters like I said, we'll go put on dark clothing. So they give them a little montage. They give them like when you have a fast costume change and another yep. scene is going on and you have to just quickly rush back there and change into your clothes. That's what they got to do. Sky News have long rehearsed her death, but instead of using the queen, they call her Mrs. Robinson. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is like, are they going to jinx it? <laughs> Haven't so far. Yeah. This is kind of freaky. BBC news teams had to go to work on Sundays, Sunday mornings to rehearse mock storylines about different royals dying. And this was before the death of Princess Diana or the Queen Mother. Some situations that they rehearsed were the Queen Mother choking on a fishbone, 
But there was also a mock scenario where Princess Diana had died in a car crash on the M4 highway. Stop. Yeah. Ooh, that gave me goosebumps. Yeah. It's fucking, fucking chilling. Okay. So while all of the media in the country is changing all at once, switching from normal to somber, a footman will come and pin a dark-edged printed notice, like framed and printed piece of paper outside of Buckingham Palace that will display the notice of the Queen's death, and they have to update their website. Yep. Yeah. Right, Katoon? struggles of operating a website yeah i bet they have something more complicated than squarespace but uh hey i can relate no i can't (laughs) no so the nine days that follow the london bridge plan are known as so the day of her death is known as d-day then every day after that is d plus the number of days so day one is d plus one you know, D plus two, so on. So yeah, forth. yeah, yeah. So during this time, there will be a lot of proclamations and a four nation tour by the new king. The day after the queen's death, the Ascension Council will meet at St. James's Palace to proclaim the new monarch. So they got to get that done really quickly. So Parliament will meet again and they will swear their allegiance to the new monarch. Jesus. Which sounds so- just so serious to me. <laughs> So it's going to be Charles, right? Or is, I feel like at one point I heard that it was, he was maybe going to like, just go ahead and pass it on to William. I sound ignorant, but I guess who knows? I, I have no idea, honestly. In a lot of these, they say that it is going to be Charles, but I can't imagine he would be queen, queen for that long. (laughs) He wouldn't be king for very long. See us also quite old. So it might just I don't know. straight down to the other guy. What's his name? William. Yeah. Harry's not in it anymore. <laughs> no, he's he's gotten out of the game as we discussed earlier. So I know what you are thinking. <laughs> What's gonna happen to the body? <laughs> yes. I hear you saying, for example, what if the queen dies at Windsor Castle? That's an excellent question, Caitlin. It would be moved by road to Buckingham Palace within a couple of days. But you're saying, Sophie, Sophie, what if the queen dies overseas? Mm. You're right. That's a big possibility. Then the body would be brought by the number 32 Royal Squadron to the raft North Northolt and then by car to Buckingham Palace. Sure, sure. But here's the kicker. What if she dies in Scotland? Oh, no. Well, then the coffin would first lie in repose at Holy Road Palace, followed by a service and reception at St. Gill's Cathedral in Edinburgh. And then they go, they bring her to Buckingham okay. Palace. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, because she likes Scotland. She does. She wants to keep it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But what if she dies during the Royal Ascot, which is a sports thing? Oh, God. <laughs> Don't worry. Then? Don't worry. They will hold and scrap the match. Yeah. Nobody totally. gets to win or lose. So following this, the coffin, either way, any, any way Whatever. you split it, any yeah. way she, anywhere she dies, the end for 
one of the ending places for her body is going to be to be taken to the throne room at Buckingham Palace. On D plus one, we are only on D plus one. Holy shit. Flags will go back up and at 11 a.m., Charles will be king. Also on D plus one, Westminster Hall will be locked, cleaned, and its stone floor covered with 1,500 meters of carpet and candles and their wicks and their wicks. <laughs> Why is that in there? Candles <laughs> and their wicks. Um, I should hope that the candle and wick are already pre-stuck together for the queen's fucking funeral. I think I copy-pasted a little bit of someone's fancy language where I was like, I don't want to talk about the candles and their burning and it's sad and the <laughs> candles and their wicks and their burning. Um, <laughs> So royal corpses traditionally have been embalmed, which I thought is interesting. And then after they're embalmed, they're going to go into lead-lined coffins that are airtight. Gross. They're trying to preserve them. The only person who hasn't done this since embalming was kind of a thing would be Queen Elizabeth number one, who left instructions that she didn't want to be embalmed. She wanted her body to be wrapped up in like a, a some some silk cloth soaked in molten wax that would preserve her body for up to a month but unfortunately her funeral team fucked it up and she decomposed quite quickly oh god yeah thanks but, guys but she was inside a coffin that was sealed pretty tightly so it 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 was fine for the type of coffin that we might see for Elizabeth, that would be a really heavy lead-lined coffin. Other royals have had carvings of themselves on top of the coffins, so we'll have to see if she goes with that. Okay. Um, skipping ahead to D plus four, the coffin will be moved to Westminster Hall and will lie in state for four days. The procession from Buckingham Palace will be a military parade and it will pass down the mall through the horse guards past the Santa 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 Taff. Anyway, it's the same person. If you know the, the procession they did for the Queen Mother's funeral in 2002, it's the same one. I don't um, know that. <laughs> well, it's the same one. <laughs> and so this route is said to hold about a million people. So there's a lot of people that can come and the plans for this event are also a little bit connected to the plans that they had for the London 2012 Olympics. They're using like a similar procession plan. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. And there might be corgis. Maybe. Maybe. Well, in 1910, the mourners for Edward VII brought his fox terrier Caesar in the procession oh. Uh, oh. and his and his son's coffin was followed by like one of his white ponies so the corgis Great. may be involved it. yeah so once they get there there's gonna of course be some prayers and her coffin is going to be draped in like some beautiful purple fabric king charles will be home from his tour yay what day are we on we're on day four when does he when does Charles go on a nationwide tour? He went right after she died. I'm sorry, what? Why? Yeah, he has to go say hi to everyone. He's king now. In a day or two? Like what the fuck? Yeah, this plan is crazy. Oh my god. Okay. 
so she's gonna be she's gonna be in there she's gonna have the orb the scepter and the imperial crown will be in place and there will be soldiers that will stand guard and then they'll basically have a receiving line for people so people can line up to say goodbye to the queen and when they did this for george the sixth there were 305,000 subjects came and the wow. line was about four miles long. Oh, shit. The palace of the queen is expecting about half a million people. Probably, yeah, it's going to be a big or deal. More. Yeah. Question. Do yes. you think the plan had to be updated for if she dies during COVID times? Absolutely. Because if you saw any of the coverage for Philip's funeral... There were only 30 people there, mm-hmm. which is, you know, quite a few less than, you know, what it would be, you yeah. know, according kind of to this, if, if things were all normal, there would have been way more people. Yeah. So I think that there probably is a plan for if she <laughs> dies still during the time of COVID. I bet that was a huge rigmarole. Yeah, that's <laughs> shit. Call yeah. a meeting over zoom (laughs) yeah god Ugh. all right so dawn of d plus nine okay they're gonna clean the hall they're gonna clean the jewels and at 9 a.m big ben will strike and the bell's hammer will be covered with a leather pad that is seven sixteenths of an inch thick so that it has a muffled tone Okay. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Um, huh. so, so when the coffin reaches the Abbey, it's going to be 11 o'clock and the country will actually have a moment of silence in which there will be no train announcements. There will be all the buses will stop. Drivers will pull off to the side of the road. There's going to be a huge moment of silence. Yeah. Shit. Uh, yeah. The funeral will proceed, and when the coffin comes back out again to greet the public, the pallbearers will put it on a green gun carriage that was used for the queen's father, his father, and his father's father. Jesus. Yeah. 138 junior sailors will drop their heads to their chests, and they will pull this giant gun cart. Now, the reason that we have the Navy pulling the gun cart is because they used to have horses do it. And when they had horses do it for Queen Victoria, one of the horses got spooked and all the horses were like threatening to bolt with the, with the coffin still attached. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. I could have done a whole other episode on like royal funeral snafus. but You still uh, can. Oh, I still will. Um, okay. But know that that's one of them. So from Hyde Park Corner, the horse, the hearse, not the horses. No, no. Um, the hearse will go about 23 miles by road to Windsor Castle, which is the resting place of, and I'm quoting myself here, a fuck ton of royals. <laughs> <laughs> so many that I did not want to list them here. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. Inside the chapel, they will take the elevator <laughs> down to the royal vault. <laughs> Um, and King Charles will drop a handful of red earth from a silver bowl on top of her casket 
and that's it damn and that bitch is buried god save the queen god save the queen so basically what i'm trying to tell you is is that the queen is an extremely important person and her death will be extremely important and you know as a figure and as an icon she is one of the things you know whether they like it or not that define part of the british identity both for themselves and around the world you right. know the queen is the queen is the symbol of the british empire f- for people alive at the moment right like mm-hmm. So her death is both going to be a new chapter in the monarchy and a new chapter for England, for the identity of the English people. And so buckle up. (laughs) She's still alive, but we all got to be ready. Okay. I will be on high alert. No, I won't. No, you won't. I hope she makes it for a little bit longer. Yeah. You know. I I did see a thing. I was looking at the stuff for Philip's funeral because I was just interested. Um, And there was this handwritten note that was stuck to the top of his, you know, all his flowers that was from the queen that said, I love you. Like, love her, like, little pet name that he used for her. So, you know, whatever they have done, they are also yeah old people (laughs) say what you will about them but they were married for over 70 years i'm pretty sure and that's yeah that's got to be really really sad and hard and weird to be without him yeah just like you know no matter the nature of their you know love uh just to be without someone who's been your companion for that long probably is is horrible but yeah when she beefs it, it's going to be a real big deal. That's right. But that's uh, that's my book report. Thank you for telling me about Operation London, London Bridge. Bridge. Yeah. Does anybody think that Fergie's London Bridge will be incorporated in any way in the Queen's plans? Maybe not in the Queen's plans, but when I hear that she has passed, I will solemnly listen to that song and okay. and and dance as solemnly as possible to my London, London, London bridge. It's going down or however it's uh Yeah, you it got goes. it. Yeah. I will I will solemnly dance to Fergie in yeah. In, yeah. in respect of the Queen. <laughs> in respect. <laughs> I, you know, where were you when Queen Elizabeth died? I was, I was dancing to Fergie's London Bridge yeah. to honor her. Respectfully. Respectfully. Oh, so respectfully. The restrained moves I would use. <laughs> well, I think we've done it. I think so. I, I think that's an episode of a podcast. I think so. And, uh, <laughs> don't know did your brain break (laughs) yeah as soon as i said that's it i just like a key turned in my neck and i just died (laughs) yeah all right boneheads you know what to do go to the instagram for images from this episode go to the website for fun website related stuff and what's that url katoon hoon oh yeah you can go over to anythingbonespodcast.squarespace.com yeah and uh if you have bone related requests 
make sure to send them over to us either through the Instagram or through the website has a place for you to do that. (laughs) All right. I, I love you, Caitlin. Thank you for the wonderful mystery to tickle my brain and for doing this after such a day. I love you, Sophie. Thank you for teaching me how to plan my funeral. Yeah, we're going to do it like the queen. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Bon voyage. Bon voyage. Okay, bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Anything Bones. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Anything Bones Podcast or email us at anythingbonespodcast at gmail.com. Thank you to Nick Kruger for our spooky music and Stephen Vetteroff at Chubby Scrubby on Twitter for our jazzy vocals. And thank you to Camilla Franklin at Camilla Strader on Instagram for our beautiful bony artwork. Please rate, review, and subscribe. I'm a fancy bitch who lives in a fancy world made of little tiny diamonds and tiny little bones. I make them into castles and also into people. I let them do my chores and then I pop my pimples.